Warning, the podcast Under the Stairs is not safe for work. We'll feature movie spoilers and language which most listeners may find offensive. Brought to you in conjunction with Legion Podcast Network. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. And welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is bonus episode number 67. I'm your host, Duncan McLeish, and welcome to the show. Now, bonus episode 67 is not what I originally planned to be, and it is several days late. And you can probably hear from my, my husky tones uh, that it's because I've, I've been uh, slammed with the cold. Um, and uh, on Thursday, when I was going to actually release an episode, I had next to no voice at all, which my family were overjoyed with, uh, but it makes it a bit difficult if you're doing a podcast. So I delayed it off, and then I finally watched a movie that my co-host on this show kind of suggested there was a very strong chance I was going to dislike it. And to be honest with you, if I was going to ever talk about this movie, I, I would like to do it with him. Uh, we're going to be discussing the 10th instalment of the Hellraiser franchise, this one is called Hellraiser Judgment. Uh, but before we get into that, let me uh, introduce my guest. He is the fantastic, also recovering from a cold, Andy Blockley. How are you doing, Andy? How you doing, mate? Yeah, I've also had a cold this week, which has been kind of good because I've had a bit of time off work, mm-hmm. which is always nice. Um, but Block Sinus, that yeah. I was telling you about before, managed to clear it about two minutes before we came online. Fucking amazing. <laughs> Like managed to blow a fucking rock down my nose. <laughs> the rock of Gibraltar awesome. came out of Andy's nose. Yeah, it's fucking great. So fucking satisfying. I can't tell you. <laughs> I'm, I'm all set now. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because obviously I was on the um, uh, Russian roulette version of, of the Hellraiser franchise that you did, and I picked a pretty fucking shit one. Oh, you got a bad one. Um, <laughs> so did most people, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> most of them are shit. You yeah, got Hellworld, wasn't it? Was it Hellworld you got with, with Henriksen? Yes, yeah. it was, yeah. And uh, Henry Cavill and uh, oh, no. terrible one-liners and oh, no. terrible CG oh, no. and all that sort of shit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I watched this the other week because I don't think you... I think it must have leaked online because I think it was officially out about four or five days ago, this. Yeah, um, came out this week. And I just... Uh, I think I, I didn't realise it wasn't out, so I just went on the, the usual places you find these things and had a look and it was there. I thought, ah, oh, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to this. Um, only because I watched the trailer and I kind of like the vibe of the trailer. And a lot of, I know you can't really judge a film by the trailer, but I do tend to think most trailers are shit, even for films I end up enjoying. I think the trailer, they just don't cut them together that well. And this one really piqued my interest. So I thought, right, I'm going to have to tell Duncan about this. <laughs> this is out. I was like, right, this is out, dude. Get on it. Let's, let's get it watched and see what you think. So this is interesting because I, I don't really know how you're going to feel about this. Because <laughs> I've um, been vague. Like, generally, we chat, like, to put people into perspective, we very seldom come into watching a movie to record for a show where we haven't really shared our opinions on it 
for the most yeah. part. Maybe not the full detail of why we disliked something or why we liked something, but we know whether or not the person dug the movie or not. And all I said to you was, uh, we have a lot to discuss about in this movie. And that in <laughs> itself could mean one or two two things. It could mean that if you, if you know Duncan and you already think that he's going to have a negative opinion of this movie, then he's going to say a lot of bad things about it. Or if you're reading it in a slightly more optimistic mood, Duncan's going to say a lot of good things about this movie. Um, I said it. I said to Rach, I went, oh, I'm really confused. I said, I, I said, I know he's deliberately being ambiguous, but <laughs> I'm not sure if he kind of really dug some of it. Because, like, like basically, like I said to you, didn't I? Like, there's, there's some things I really don't like about this film, but I kind of enjoyed it despite those things. Yeah. So you're either going to be the same as me, or you're going to go, this is a fucking like, shit show, <laughs> mate. Absolute shit show. So I'm interested to see what you think. Yeah, it's it's, go- it's going to be a fun discussion. It's worth throwing out that when we come to the movie review, I'm very much aware, like Andy said, this movie literally came out in the UK this week. So we'll probably break up our review into two segments. The first segment will be non-spoilered. Uh, and then we'll do a bit more spoilery chat on it. So please be warned, if you've not seen the movie yet, uh, and you want to go in completely blind to your viewing, then probably not best listening to this episode until you have done. Um, if you are not invested at all in the Hellraiser franchise, but still want to watch the movie, then listen to the non-spoiler review. Um, and if you could not give a tiny rat's ass, listen to the entire thing. Uh, but be warned, we will spoil it for you. So yeah, we're going we're gonna to do that on this show. We're also just saying off air um, that we're going we're gonna to reconvene and and march and uh, take a little stab at a a three instalment franchise which i've been wanting to do for the longest time um and just uh, for some reason not pulled the trigger on it but uh andy will be joining me in march to do uh, a little uh, three-part franchise well three parts in the movies one episode on podcast under the stairs for maniac cop that should be fun (laughs) yeah no I think so. I mean, <laughs> is there a remake of that coming out? No, I mean, it's that been cancelled. I think. Yeah, it got cancelled. So uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of hype about it, and I remember like the internet kind of doing the collective groan that it does when it hears a remake's coming, and I was like, "That no remake movies like Maniac Cop." I'm exactly. fine with that. That that that's the like that is the one very rare occasion when I won't groan when I hear a remake yeah. something. I'm like, oh, that they could do that so fucking well if they stick to like the grindhouse style kind of eighties. Keep it practical effects. Keep it really fucking over the top and ridiculous. Yeah, it could be great. Yeah, and I was I, I thought like, but you can modernize the story as well. I think just now, particularly in America, there is a real vibe going around the fear of the police. Oh God! Now more than ever, yeah. Yeah. So how how does it not make sense to do that movie now? You know what I mean? You could totally play into that. It is very exploitative, but you could totally play into that and modernize it. Like Maniac Cop is the perfect movie. To, it was the same when they did um, uh, Lustig's Maniac when they remade that a couple of years ago. I was like, yeah, remake that movie. I am fine yeah. with you remaking that movie. That movie is not like on some pedestal which it's not like a Jaws or The Exorcist where I'm like that no these are ring fenced off for all time don't even look at them you know what I mean no. these these are non-remakeable movies like Maniac Cop to me is a movie that could totally be remade and I had an interest in I was getting I think a, gravi- a graphic novelist was doing the script um, can't remember who the director was but Nicholas Winden Refn was putting together the full kind of 
he was I think he was the one that picked a director with Bill Lustig's permission. He was going to be involved with the production of the movie. Just some really interesting names behind it, which gave me like good vibes that they were gonna approach it as an exploitation movie, which I, I was I mean the good news is now you have got people like Amazon and Netflix. So they're the kinds of people that pick it up. People yeah. that will just give you the money and just step back and go, right, just do what you fucking want. Exactly. I mean that's no the, studio that's the interference. Model. Yeah, that's a new model and I, I think it's a, a model from my point of view that's really exciting. But yeah, the it was supposed to be out this year and then the last I read about it, which was towards the end of last year, was um I think it was an estate a, a statement from Lustig himself had basically said that the the plug had been pulled on it or was it Larry Cohen I think it was Larry Cohen actually that said that because Larry Cohen wrote the original um so I think he'd said that the, the plug had been pulled on it so it's not happening now which is a bit thing shit. is there's, there's so much hunger now for stuff like this and give it another couple of years and it'll just come back around won't it because people are like, getting obsessed with horror now yeah oh it's huge man it's absolutely huge at the moment um so much so that even though I don't necessarily think I've started watch it, but The Shape in the Water, I would struggle to argue is a horror movie from what I know of it. Um, okay. But it's been very well represented at the Oscars and Get Out's in the Best Picture. So, I mean, you know, it's been, it's been what, 20 odd years since Silence of the Lambs picked up the Oscars? So, mm. um, yeah, it's, it's unusual to be in a position like this where. They'll be calling uh, Get Out a psychological thriller as well, won't they? Oh, of, <laughs> course, of course they will. Of course they will. Can't be a horror film. Can't, cannot be a horror film. God forbid we claim that it's a horror movie. Horror movies <laughs> are too lowbrow. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it, it'll be interesting to see. If we ever get that Mani- Maniac Cop remake, certainly though the three that did come out, uh, myself and yourself will be taking a run at them in March for yeah, the audience's listen- listening pleasure, which means we get to spend a bit of time with the, the, the sexy Bruce Campbell and uh, a, a little bit of Tom Atkins as well. Oh God, <laughs> Tom Atkins pulling a 20-year-old girl again, uh, is he? P- possibly with a six-pack, not on his mm-hmm. not on his stomach, but an actual six-pack of beer. In his stomach. <laughs> Pretty much. Chasing it with a couple of bottles of whiskey, 50, 50 or so fags. Yeah. Cigarettes. That's that cigarettes is. for the Americans. I've got to do that with Baz all the time. I'm like, you might want to clarify what you're actually saying when you throw that word out. As um, you sound like a dickhead. It does, yeah. But he's like that. He's, but Baz, you know what Baz is like. Um, he doesn't care. He's he's a, he, does, he don't give a fuck, man. Honestly, he's brutal. Um, Talking to Baz, right? Please do Suspiria with him. No, no. Like, so, so, like his his idea, his idea was uh, for his end of term assessment, um, or his graduation from Horror High, which is dropping ostensibly a week tomorrow. Um, was to do Suspiria and do the Neon Demon. And the reason that he wants to do both these movies on the same show is, like, myself, himself, uh, and the guys from Scotland Liam vs. Evil all went for a piss-up in Glasgow, and um, I arrived, and Big Scott was already there, and uh, Liam arrived shortly after, and, like, Scott just jumped right into... He just watched the Neon Demon, so he started yeah. jumping out. Oh, what is going on with this movie? Because he'd, he'd obviously heard me. He'd, he'd, he'd heard me speak about it on Bozzy's show, the Little Pod of Horrors. There's a full like hour and a half of me breaking down um, right. the movie, like how I saw the movie, what it was, and you know its inspirations, what I think is actually going on in the movie, uh, and all the rest. So he started quizzing me on all this, 
And um, Suspiria got mentioned about 20 times because it's obviously going to get mentioned 20 times when I'm talking about Neon Demon. Uh, And Baz had taken it away that this could be a cool idea to watch something like a Suspiria, which is widely regarded out with Andy um, as, you know, a masterpiece uh, and a modern movie which is basically taking its cues from it. Yeah. and do the kind of Baz comparison of, you know, what is the better interpretation of, of it. And I just don't want to listen to Baz, who I know for a fact before even going into that doesn't really like Argento and doesn't really like dubbed movies. I don't want to listen to Baz shit on one of my all-time favourite movies for an hour and a half. I don't want to do it. So, no, but come on, but if it's a good movie, it's Baz proof, isn't it? Like Halloween was Baz proof. Texas Chainsaw Massacre was Baz proof. Do you want me to go down? Do you want me to go down this road? Like you would think that is the case. There, I thought Reanimator was Baz proof. Apparently not, Andy. Do you know what? I'm really. I didn't think he'd like From Beyond because I think it's a bit too obscure. But I genuinely am a bit shocked that he didn't like Reanimator because he liked Return of the Living Dead. He didn't think Fright Night was amazing, but I think he kind of realised that if he had seen it when we all saw it, he probably would have thought it was amazing. Yeah. You know, stuff like American Werewolf in London, has he seen that? I don't think he has, actually. That's still on the list, so... But I I imagine he'll like that kind of, you know, I imagine he's going to really enjoy that. Yeah, I was genuinely surprised with Reanimator because it's... I don't really know what... I don't really understand how you can't... I don't know anyone that dislikes that movie. Yeah, at all. strange, but I would. I'd, it's just going to be a funny episode. Don't. I don't think you should necessarily do it with Neon Demon because then he's going to shit on two movies. That you yeah, love. that's what I mean. Like two movies <laughs> that I love. <laughs> She's going to like just fucking another thing, Duncan. I don't want to listen to that. I know everyone else. I know you do because you don't like the movie. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to keep just... some things pure on this show. Yeah. I actually <laughs> think I'm. I'm considering. Um, I've been considering for a while. It was actually something that was mentioned um, for what, what was the movie? Uh, I think it was Mother. Uh, someone had asked me if I would ever cover Mother on this show. Yeah. And I do want to cover it, but what I want to do is I want to get a good sample poll of people that liked the movie and disliked the movie, and almost yeah. do like a mini round table on that. And I'm now actually it's been it's been in the back of my head for a wee while of doing like a series of shows during the year which just has different podcasters like maybe about four or five people and it's just one movie discussion but it's conducted mm. as a round table with a selection of people that like the movie and a selection of people that dislike the movie and then see if we can battle it out um, good idea mother is what's affectionately known in our household as a duncan movie <laughs> um, and i really <laughs> you can Im- you can imagine what others are Oh, fucking hell. Another fucking Duncan movie. But no, like, it was very strange, Mother, because I kind of watched it and, and it, it annoys me when I have to fin- when I have to go and Google a film to find out what the fuck it was about. Uh-huh. Like, I do find that quite frustrating, but once I'd kind of find out sort of what it was about, I looked at it in a different light and I kind of thought, maybe I wish I'd known that going in. Because I was waiting for a twist ending with yeah. Mother. Um, a big reveal if you like not necessarily a twist but like a huge reveal as to what was going on and you don't really get it and and in a way I'm kind of relieved you don't because nothing could possibly do justice to the fucking insanity that you've just seen Yeah, that is so actually in hindsight I'm glad there isn't a big reveal at the end because it 
it would have it would have just fell short anyway, regardless of you know whatever it, it was that it's a, you, you kind of think it's going to be because it is just a big fucking anxiety dream of a movie. That's yeah, basically what it is. Um, and in that respect, I thought it was fucking great because I've had those kind of dreams and they you know I've never seen that I've never seen it put on film before. So it's yeah, very fucking interesting movie that. Yeah, and it's one that's completely polarized, and I think those are the yeah. ideas that I would I would love to do. And it might happen. Now that I'm, the more I'm saying it on this episode, the more I feel like I've just announced a new series that Duncan's going to be doing. Um, yeah. But I, I cool. really like that idea of of sitting down and finding out why people dislike certain movies so strongly. Because Mother yeah. was like, people were like, oh, this is a masterpiece. Like, that was me. I was like, this is a masterpiece. And I, I did not, I stress, I, I am loath to say I love that movie. But I appreciate everything that the movie did. I like appreciate it fully. I think it's phenomenal for what I actually did. Um, yeah. And on the flip side of that, though, on the flip side, I look at what the the movie's doing in terms of, you know, style, it's, you know, actual content and all the rest. That you know, to me, it was just like this is like I feel like I am watching something wholly special here. Um, but then there were people that were like that this is hot garbage one of the worst movies I've seen this year and I don't know how you go from one extreme to the other with very little middle ground and I think that's where like a round table situation becomes super interesting because what you end up with is you end up with both sides of that coin and then you find out why people take a dislike so vehemently or why people take a love so strongly towards either direction so I, I can see that happening somewhere down the down the line and then certainly if I was doing a movie like Suspiria which feels like you could probably do something like that I will make sure that you're represented Andy don't worry you'll get your say okay so, yeah cool and you'll just I'll, but I'll make sure that episode is heavily weighted on my side um, anyway <laughs> you'll be, be putting me on mute a lot I imagine <laughs> anyway people losing losing connection <laughs> it's like the the round table series that we we did at the end of the 70s show where andy was just like that yeah i don't like this movie and you could hear the collective despair of the other five people on the call just going to put uh, uh, and i was like yep uh, ladies and gentlemen this is andy blockley andy and blockley everyone else um trust me that's it you need a bit of balance you should have had me on your flanagan show sure all oh, right that <laughs> yeah, was too much it's too much of a love fest I was listening to it. I've only just got around to listening to that. I know it's fucking old now. Yeah. I just thought, oh man, I, I want to interject here on, on some of these. Mainly, mainly Oculus. I hate it. I um, the rest you, of them are pretty good, to be I honest. Don't know I, didn't, I didn't Oculus. like Mike Flanagan. But Oculus is a great it's movie. A, it's one giant plot hole. It's, it's one giant nonsensical plot hole of a movie. Like I think I was about 20 minutes in and I went, well, this is mental. Like None of this makes sense. Because yeah, but... that mirror can make you hear and see whatever it wants you to hear and see. So setting a link and all that shit, it, none of it matters. Like all you have to do is get some CCTV, get it rigged up to a remote location where someone's watching. Done. That's all you have to do. <laughs> all this bollocks about like setting, setting the, the setting my phone to go off to tell me when to eat. Well, how do you know the mirror's not done that? The mirror can make you hear and see whatever it wants you to. I just like I just checked out. Yeah, but isn't that that, that's not a plot hole in the movie. That's a plot hole for that character. That character genuinely thinks that she can outsmart the mirror. That's why she does that, and then she realizes very very quickly it? that the mirror. 
can do things like set alarms off, make you see different people and all the rest. So that to me it makes it more human. I don't want yeah. a movie about a character who's going to take on this all-powerful demonic possessed mirror where she is so smart that she's going to outsmart it. That's what made the movie great is because that she went in thinking she was better and she was going to break this curse and she was going to do what no one else could do and ultimately she underestimated the full thing. I thought that was really clever. Isn't the mirror isn't the mirror like already cracked as well? Like when she gets it in and like a little crack in the mirror. Potentially, yeah, maybe. Yeah, so smashing it isn't going to do anything, is it? Because it's already cracked, so... Yeah, I don't... Um, like, once again, though, it's her idea of... See, I think that's fine. I think that's fine. I think you can have movies uh, which deal with um, possessions or hauntings or whatever where we very realise that the, the, the issue is here is that you're human and you're trying to approach things with a rational human mind and a rational human mind doesn't explain things that are supernatural. So I think yeah. that's a great concept. I think that I think that's done really, really well. While you see a plot hole, Andy, I see uh, a believability uh, in a story which yeah, I think is quite it was how smug she was as well. You know, how smug she is at the beginning. Oh, telling she's you super all smug. She's going to do to trick it, <laughs> and like just have like a, a stone on the sea. Why do you need a ship's anchor? And where did she get that from? And how did she rig that up there? Fuck off. Anyway, the rest of it's pretty good. I do like. I do like. Flanagan he is, he is good it's just Oculus I just thought uh, right. I'm glad, I'm glad that we're getting all these unbelievability things out of the way before we start talking about a, a movie which has a wooden box that creates a portal to hell I'm glad that we're getting we're, we're putting our cards that's, why, that's why I brought it up I'm just off <laughs> some perspective now so, <laughs> so when we get into this it won't seem as mental with that in mind, we're going to take our first break. Um, you're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for this only one movie review of this episode. It's time that me and Andy got down to the crux of the matter and discussed the 10th instalment in the Hellraiser franchise. We're going to be discussing the Hellraiser Judgment. Myself and Andy coming right back right after this. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try... They must be destroyed on sight! The new Podcast Cure-All. Sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation. We have Italian horror. We have zombies. We have slashers. We have crime films. We have spaghetti westerns. We even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts... Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, Prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. 
It takes a powerful goddess like Connie jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Welcome back. So, Hellraiser Judgment, released 2018. Written and directed by Ga- uh, Gary G. Tinnacliffe, um, who has been a long-time makeup artist on the old uh, the old Hellraiser series and many other ones, actually. His, his credits uh, for doing kind of makeup effects, etc. on movies are nothing short than horrendously daunting in that he's worked on some massive, massive movies. Uh, the movie stars Damien Carney, Randy Wayne, Alexandra Harris, Heather Langenkamp. I remember hearing she was going to have a major role in this. I think she gets about, was it 10 seconds screen time? <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't even actually recognise it was her. Um, I had to go no. back at the end to try and find out after checking IMDb. I was like, I have no idea who this is. Uh, making his debut as Pinhead uh, is Paul T. Taylor. Um, the the auditor in this movie is played by the director, Gary G. Yep. Tinnacliffe. Um, there is lots of other people, but we're not going to spend time on that. Uh, synopsis is Detective Sean and David Carter 
are on the case to find a gruesome serial killer terrorising the city. Joining forces with Detective Christine Egerton, they dig deeper into a spiralling maze of horror that may not be of this world. Now, <clears throat> I said there was a lot to discuss about this movie. Let's start at the beginning, Andy. Um, we're doing this is a non-spoiler <laughs> review, but let's start at the beginning, which was something you said earlier on, which was when the trailer dropped for this movie. And you saw the trailer and you're like, this seems positive. Look at that. I mean, it looks it look, well, it looks like there's some good practical effects. You know, that it, you know, it, it has a mood and a tone which kind of feels like a Hellraiser movie. You know, I'm on board. And I approach things from the other side of the coin. My issues with the trailer. My issues with the trailer were why are the, why are there so many cenobites, right? Like I, I I can't stress like the numbers of cenobites does not denote a good movie. The first movie only had four, and of those four, really only two people did anything. And the rest didn't have anything to do with the movie. They just kind of stood there. Um, and practical fe- practical effects do not a good movie make. And I keep coming back to this. I know that you will overlook cracks in the armour in favour of some good practical effects. I think that practical effects enhance an already great movie. I do not think they make a great movie. Yeah, I agree they don't make a good movie, but I think for me what it is, because of how much I like literally despise bad CGI and lazy CGI... A film just automatically gets points when I when I see like practical effects when they've actually gone to to the effort of creating something. So I don't think it it doesn't make a bad film good. I can just go well, fucking hell, like practical effect, like yes, I just get really into when I see practical effects. And although there wasn't any like blood or anything in the trailer, so you couldn't really tell if there was CG in that respect. I just thought, God, look how much effort's gone into that, into the into the Cenobites and the makeup. You this would is probably going to be a good film. It's directed by a makeup artist, so you would expect... I don't think I knew that. I don't think I realised that, actually, at the time. All right, he's... I can't know now. Um, ah, right. He's been behind quite a lot of the Hellraiser series in terms of the yeah. practical makeup effects, Pinhead in particular. Um, yeah. he, he's done a lot of that stuff in the past. So, like, when I heard that, like, I knew there was always going to be... That was one of the big kind of... When the internet debate was going on about whether or not this was a good idea, whether or not having Doug Bradley in the movie, you know, or not having Doug Bradley in the movie was negative points or, or whatnot. And we have to, and there are certain things that going at this movie, I'm not a Doug Bradley purist. The guy is in his 60s now. Yeah. I, I don't want to see <clears throat> Doug Bradley in his 60s dolled up with the makeup standing there. He can't really do much these days, and that's fine. Um, let the guy go um, like even when Clive Barker announced that he was going to go back and take a stab at a remake of this I would have rolled my eyes had I heard that he was doing a remake and Doug Bradley was going to reprise the role as Pinhead that time has mm. moved on he's a great yeah. Pinhead we have many 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 movies of him doing his Pinhead thing and his great one line delivery and I, I love that to bits I disliked the previous Pinhead because he just didn't feel like the character from either the novels or the movie no he was just a bit fat and shite um so <laughs> that being said one of the things i will say about this movie in the positive camp and i'm once again not giving away anything is i think the casting for pinhead here is adequate i don't think he, he doesn't to me he doesn't do anything that makes him stand out as a phenomenal pinhead 
He doesn't make himself go in a negative capacity either. Uh, and to be honest with you, Pinhead's not supposed to be the star of these movies. Um, no. The star of these movies are supposed to be the characters who open the box. That's the point. We follow their journey uh, and judgment, so to speak, is going to be placed on them by Pinhead. So, I mean... Like Pinhead to me is this arbitrary character that should always be in the background anyway and show up for the occasional iconic scene and do a line. And from that point of view, Paul Taylor nails it. I think I think he was he was fine as that. Um, I will kick into some of the positives. I'm once again not going to give away much because I can't. Um, I think some of the special effects are good in the movie. I don't think they're great. Um, I think there is a a disjointedness about the movie which I found it quite difficult to reconcile um, in that I didn't know what they were actually aiming for when they made this movie. There's some pretty cool concepts I don't think are really fleshed out at all um, mm. that I thought like any of these concepts as a standalone Hellraiser movie would be really, really interesting. Um, the whole first 20 minutes of this movie feels like a Nine Inch Nails music video. Um, it feels like it could have come away from. I remember the Nine Inch Nails did a they did an EP called uh, uh, it's the Broken EP, and they did at the time a full video which covered all the songs. Um, I had like it was very S and M. It had songs like Wish and Happiness and Slavery and stuff. Um, and if you've ever watched that, it's available online, although you can't buy it. It is available online. If you watch that and then watch the first 20 minutes of Hellraiser Judgment, they kind of look like the same thing. Um, <laughs> taking it taking into account that, you know, that was done, what, 1992 or something by Nine Inch Nails. So, a bit retro. Um, I like the introduction of some of the new... I, I can't say they're Cenobites because it's not really declared what they actually are um, yeah. in any detail at all. I, you know, I quite like the Auditor, for example, so I thought he was a really cool character. Something new that I thought, I could watch further Hellraiser movies with this character. That, that you mm. know, it's the first introduction of a character on that side where I've been like, yeah, well, that I like that we've added this to the mythology. Um, I would have liked a bit more backing as to why we've added it. Uh, out with a one line at the beginning of the movie, which uh, wasn't great. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was a cool addition. And like I say, I could happily watch more of him and other movies. That that concept was pretty cool. Um, the characters are not great in this movie. I think that's I think that's when we come to go into more spoilery detail and I really start putting my cards down for what I think doesn't work in the movie. I don't think the stories. Considering this is a, a written for Hellraiser movie, you know what I mean? This is one of these ones, this one in the previous movie were movies that were written as Hellraiser scripts, whereas the previous five instalments were scripts which were converted into Hellraiser movies. Mm. Um, it's funny you should say that because for me it feels like they've got they did all the Cenobite auditor stuff and then yeah. kind of went, fuck, we need a film now to kind of flesh this around, make it kind of all linked together yeah which is where i come so, in andy like 100 percent. It, it doesn't feel like it's been written as a hellraiser script at all even though it, it has doesn't. and then i think to myself at hellraiser inferno which is a movie that covers very similar territory in that it is the hunt for a serial killer by a police officer who may have a slightly dark past um which was not written <laughs> 
as a Hellraiser movie, which was segued into a Hellraiser movie, feels like a better written movie. Uh, it feels like a better directed movie. I mean, it's directed by Scott Derrickson, who has his chops in horror, for sure. Uh, and it's actually a really good director. But I was watching this going, I, I just don't feel the, the story itself is all that great. And as a short, if this was just the... Had we just done the the opening 15 minutes of this movie with the guy stumbling across the house um, and all that stuff I think as a short that's a great idea I think that's like I think that's probably the bit that I thought worked best in the movie I thought everything in the real world didn't work all that great I also think there's a horrible sepia tone which is used in the cinematography in this movie which makes no sense even when they're in the daylight there's this kind of brownie tinge yeah. to the way things are shot, which to me evokes things like the Saw movies have that greeny sort of tone, the Platinum Dunes movie have that kind of diarrhea water kind of tone that kind yeah. of sits over the top. This one had a tone that I, I don't understand why it's there. Um, and there are loads of details I want to get into, but I, I have to wait for non-spoiler. You tell me what it was about this movie without spoiling Andy hold on to that um, what, what did you think what, what was your because like you came in far more positive with your initial statements after watching the movie you said to me you know this is what well, I think it was your fourth favourite Hellraiser movie um, which is like once again we're <laughs> fourth favourite Hellraiser movie might sound huge in a franchise of ten but like you said earlier on a lot of those movies are bad yeah, it's not difficult. For me, this is like the best fan film you'll ever see. Mm. That's kind of what it reminds me of. Um, it reminds me of a really fucking well done fan movie. Right. Um, which, you know, is is a good thing in some ways, a bad thing in others. I mean, for me, the auditor stole the show. I thought he was really fucking great. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the whole concept of it. Basically, this isn't a spoiler because they kind of tell you this in the first two minutes. No one's using wooden boxes anymore. You know, they've kind of factored in the fact that we're, you know, it's 2018 now. People are obsessed with gadgets, technology. No one's really sitting trying to solve wooden boxes. Yeah. Okay, so what they've got... Instead of that now, there's a house that they've built. It's in the kind of in-between sort of, I don't know, it's, it's, not, it's not really in the real world. It's kind of like... It's like a purgatory. Like almost. a purgatory, like, like, a, like a house, basically. And what they do, they, they go and seek out sinners. So they'll write to someone who's like a real fucking sinner and almost invite them to this house. Okay, so when you get to the house, there's a guy called an auditor and he takes your entire life's history of all the fucking terrible things you've done and types them in your blood onto a typewriter and then gives it to this horrible fucking disgusting fat guy. (laughs) He basically, he eats the paper that's got your blood written confession on it. Uh He then vomits the contents of his stomach after he's digested this information, literally into like a funnel that then goes into a fucking different room where there's three hot naked ladies <laughs> who basically hot in the body don't... not in the face andy hot in the body not in the face the faces yeah, are they disfigured have, yeah um if anyone's watched season of the witch when the old when the lady in the hotel room is messing with the the little badge um <laughs> they all look like that basically <laughs> Uh, and then they kind of pass verdict on you. Um, and if you're fucking sick and depraved enough, 
you know, then then they take you to hell and they do what they do. They send the you for cleaning. Movies. Yeah. Which when we did, when you find it later on, what that actually means is probably to me is the most horrific thing that happens in this movie. <laughs> it's, it's gross. I mean, I, I imagine a lot of people would have switched this movie off when the fat guy's vomiting into a fucking funnel yeah. and you see it like coming out a bit like yeah, like the fucking generation game whizzing past in a clear tube. <laughs> All this disgusting shit. Um, a cuddly I mean, toy. Um. Yeah, yeah. That's it. it it's gr- it, it's properly, properly stomach-churningly gross. And if you're a bit squeamish and not necessarily, you know, you can be the biggest gore hound mm. going. Um, if you're squeamish on vomit and spit and stuff like that, then this film is not the movie for you. Avoid. Going to properly gross you the fuck out. And I'm like, this is not for a mainstream audience. And that's why, that's one of the things that made me kind of love it. It's just the fact that it, you know, this is they've deliberately done this to put mainstreamers off. I think to people that just, you know, the people that are going out watching it because they've heard it's good, yeah, will go. Oh, I'm really into horror now. I've suddenly discovered in 2018 I love horror. I'm going to watch Hellraiser: Judgment, and they will switch this off because it's fucking disgusting. And those bits are great. I really enjoyed the opening sort of 15, 20 minutes, um, just because it was fucking cenobitey and fucking hellish. And and for me, like having read quite a bit of Clive Barker in the last year, um, the most Barker-like, I think, you know, like that kind of thing, going and and confessing your sins in blood on a typewriter and having a guy eat it and then vomit it. And then that's straight out of a fucking Clive Barker novel. Yes, it it felt very, it felt very in keeping with the original tome. Yeah. Yeah, it would not seem out of place in a Clive Barker novel at all. Um, So that bit's great. And then the rest of the film starts, and it's just a bit shit. I mean, you've got, a, I mean, I think they're going for kind of a seven vibe. You know, they've got a serial killer who's basically killing off the back of the, the, the 10, is it 10 commandments or 12 commandments, whatever, isn't it? Is it the commandments or something else? Um, I, I don't know, because I thought it was the 10 commandments, uh, which made my eyes roll when that, yeah. they're like, I was like, oh, here we go. But then I think they're, they're like, that he's killed 12 people. And I was like, right, okay. <laughs> That's where I got confused because I thought I thought there was only ten. I'm not really into. Yeah, there are only ten commandments. You are right Right. there, but I don't think he's killing them on the basis of. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. But he he goes by this kind of biblical um, name as a as a serial killer, which what we'll get into. But yeah, I'm gonna. There are elements here that are so fucking dumb, Andy. Yeah, you've got two brothers who are detectives, like a third, like, overly attractive detective turns up. I mean, that's the the annoying thing. It's very fucking Hollywood in that respect. Everyone's quite good looking. Mm -hmm. And I kind of thought, oh, that automatically goes against the first 20 minutes that I've just seen, which is almost anti-Hollywood, anti-mainstream. And then you give me a really attractive detective, like two brothers, one of them's really attractive as well. And it's like... Here we go then. And that's for me is kind of where the film starts to go downhill then quite rapidly is just no one's really very likable. Yeah. Um, you've got a serial killer that's killing people, but there's no real backstory to the killer. You don't know who he is, why he's doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't really care why he's doing it, which I think is the big problem. I mean, in Seven, it, there was just so much more impact to the killings. Yeah, which is, which is strange because in the same way you don't know who the killer is in Seven, you don't really know why he's doing what he's doing at first, you don't know anything about the victims, but there's so much more punch behind the way the killings are done, and that's basically exactly what they're trying to do here. Yeah, there's they're a sense of do... urgency as well. Yeah, there's a sense of urgency. Urgent. Yeah, and and this one there's no sense of urgency at all because it's not really set up, and they just find bodies, 
Whereas in seven, they are trying to track a killer who is killing and you know almost catching. Yeah. In certain um, levels, and this one you don't get any of that. And it's weird because for me, like if I turn on, uh, for me, the horror movie around an hour and a half, an hour forty is the perfect length for a horror movie. I think in in, in you know certain circumstances, films can run longer. But it, like if I if I get a new hold of a new horror film and it's over the two hour mark, I immediately think, fuck you know that. Right, it's going to have to be pretty fucking special to take two hours of my time because most stuff can be done like within 90 minutes. Yeah. But then this is kind of too far the other way. It's an hour 20, yeah, including you, credits. Yeah, you take the credits off um, either side, this movie is closer to an hour and 10 minutes long. Yeah, so it's kind of what you were saying. I was, it worked much better as a short because there's so much There's so much they could have gone into in this. There's so much, they, they could have delved so much deeper. And it's almost like I said at the beginning, they've written all the Hellraiser-y stuff, you know, the Cenobite stuff, the hellish kind of stuff. Put so much effort into that and then just like shoehorned this like 45 minutes of cop story that you don't really care about. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's where it's a real missed opportunity for me. I kind of, because it started off quite strong and I really wanted to see, because the thing is, like, I've, I've always sort of asked the question to myself, what makes a Hellraiser because if it's having Cenobites in it, then the first Hellraiser film isn't really a Hellraiser film. They're in it for five minutes. Yes. Um, for me, like the most, the most Hellraiser of the Hellraiser movies is part two, and probably my favourite one. Obviously, part three does the Hellraiser Cenobite thing, but in a far too Hollywood way. Yeah. Where it's just like, well, everyone wants, Hell, everyone wants Cenobites. We best put them on screen, like loads of them, as quick as we can, and let's make loads of new ones and all that kind of thing. Um, this is the most Hellraiser film I think since part two for me. But it still needs more than that because the thing is about the, the second Hellraiser film, you've got loads of Cenobite action, but you've got a really interesting story as well going on, and like some really depraved characters, and it's a really interesting movie. This just doesn't have that, does it? It's just got all. It's just got some good Cenobite action, and it's almost like they've gone, well, that'll do. That'll do for the fans, you know. Every, all the other films have been shit. At least this would be better, and I think it is better. I think this is far better than most of the Hellraiser films, but. Like you say, that's not really much of an accolade, is it? That's not much of a bragging right. Well, no. well we're better than part five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Well, fucking great. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, yeah I, I do see what you're saying. You're maybe not as positive on this as I thought you were going to be, actually. Um, what we'll do is I really want to get into to, to kind of discussing spoilery elements of it. Um, so what we'll do is we'll <clears> kick <throat> in our greed just now and then we'll go on and justify our greed using, like, examples. Um... I will ask you for your grade first. Netflix grades. One hated it, two didn't like it, three liked it, four really liked it, and five loved it. Remember, you can do point fives. What would you give Hellraiser Judgment? I think three and a half. Oh, right, so that's a bit higher than me. <laughs> I think it was a really good effort. Um, it was it was a four at first, yeah. like, just because I kind of like where it went with all the... the that first 20 minutes and then it, obviously we go back like there, I mean this I think out of all the Hellraiser film this has got the most like you know in hell kind of footage out of all of them I'd say it's probably a 50-50 split between the real world and like the nether world but in a, in, a, in a film that's running at about an hour and ten it's not that much of a big deal anyway but no it's just not enough three and a half just because I think they put so much effort into trying to be really Hellraiser like and really Clive Barker-esque and I think I've got to give it marks for that just because no one's really done that since the, some of the very first Hellraiser films. So I did like it on that respect, and I almost really liked it, um, but it's so let down by the, the sort of secondary story that's going on. 
it just can't be enough to make it a really good movie, unfortunately. Um, I'm assuming yours is a lot lower then. <laughs> yeah, mine's at two. I didn't, I didn't like this movie. Um, yeah. I'd, yeah. Um, and I'll get into details why. Uh, I, I would agree. The thing is, I think we're not too far off our opinions. Uh, just the, the bits that raise it for you in terms of your scoring... I acknowledge are really good, but the stuff that doesn't work for you, to me, detrimentally drops the movie. Yeah. So even with those good things, it, it ultimately, how did I feel when I watched it at the end? I didn't really like it. Um, yeah. So, right, so this is where the, the warning tag goes in now. Spoilers are forthcoming. Me and Andy are going to spoil the shit out of this movie, so please be warned. Check the time coding in your description for the podcast. Um, and join us as we close out the show but we're spoiling things as of now right let me just get a couple of big things off my chest which I think drag this movie down like the anchor from Oculus Um, right I do not disagree with you when we talk about what makes a Hellraiser movie a Hellraiser movie is you know the the, kind of not only Cenobites, but the the world of the Cenobites, yeah, as being the thing that, and you are right by that count. The second movie is the best, and I would probably agree to an extent. I think the second movie is a phenomenal uh, piece of horror cinema, just because you get all that. We get to see Leviathan, we get to see what hell actually, or not, not even necessarily what hell, what their hell looks like, yeah, uh, and the collection of souls within that. Uh, this movie puts two middle fingers up to all of that. Like, literally, there has been... It's making you make jumps which I think are huge and unnecessary mm. um, without explaining how... There is no attempt to explain what is going on here, right? The whole purpose of the box before, right? The, the whole purpose of the Cenobites before was that anyone could open it um, and you would be judged after you open it, depending on. It was, it was all we always talk about that that line: angels to some, demons to others. If an yeah. innocent person opens a box, that innocent person will be judged as innocent. If a guilty person opens a box, then you got to believe some bad things are going to happen to you. It's like you, through the pursuit of lust and sin, will command the Cenobites to you, and they will take you away, and you will pay. Um, this movie kind of pisses all over that in that they're actively pursuing bad people to put them through their own sort of judgment, which doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. Um, I don't like that. I, I, if anything, I'd, I'd like as soon as that... I, and there's other things I didn't quite like about that. Like, the first movie set in 1986, right? So by then, 1986, we had things like... We had things like Nintendo and all the rest. So to now say that in 2018, no one has any interest in, you know, wooden puzzle boxes or whatnot, and 2018 is the straw that broke the camel's back, and technology's moved so far now that people are just not interested. I also think that's a bit of a push. I understand Let's what we're trying to do is reset the balance here and take the story in a different direction, because you've seen umpteen stories about people that have come across the box, and opened it, and Pinhead has shown up, and all that. And I get that. I understand we don't want to make that movie again. We've done nine previous movies like that. But we've also attempted this story once before. That's essentially what Hellworld is. Hellworld is, right, no one wants to open boxes anymore, so we'll put it online. Um, 
And in the case of this one, we're not going to bother using the boxes anymore. There's a shelf of boxes, which that to me is the interesting part. And that mm. room is like, look at all these boxes. Are these all boxes to different realms with different Cenobites? Who says the Cenobites have to be Pinhead? No one. Mm. And no. just, and it, like, you, have the, you have it in your hands to do something really, really interesting. And your first 20 minutes are tantalizingly interesting because we have this idea of this kind of full purgatory. It kind of looks like the waiting room from Beetlejuice. Um where we have, you know, this guy who walks in that we find out is a fucking child molester and killer. Mm. And I'm like, right, this is a bad guy. And the auditor by far steals the show in this entire movie. Gary Tunnicliffe has given himself the best role in the movie, um, which is surprising for a director. Uh, It's almost like Kenneth Branagh giving himself the role of Poirot in Murder on the Express. You know, director, best character. Um, but he steals the show for me. Absolutely steals the show for me. There's about three times more of him on screen there is, than there is Pinhead, and I am cool with that. I mean, yep. it's really, really interesting. I love this idea of him basically saying, listen, just sit down, just tell us what you've done, be honest, and you'll be judged, and that'll be cool. You might be rewarded, you might not be rewarded, everything's fine. Love that idea, right? I love the... I even, like, the gross stuff that we were talking about, I think is fine. I think, you know, the guy that comes in after him, uh, who then eats the stuff and then voms, uh, mm. the, the women that stick their hand in a trough full of vom, and then see whether he's guilty or innocent. Um, and then, even even down to the cleansing, I thought was cool. I eat the, the 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 guy that comes in in the massive sort of fucking weird sadomasochistic suit that has a yep. wee mini man hidden inside him who comes out with those two shots. All that stuff, really really interesting. I'm like that cool. We've taken things in a different direction. This could be a different box. Once again, we can't stick with. Let's let's remove Pinhead from this equation altogether, and let's yep. just have this different box which contains this different way of being judged. I'm cool with that. We can do that in this movie. No, no. It's like it's like there is a a fear. A fear. I, I, I don't understand the fear, right? And there's like a fear that if they don't put Pinhead uh, Pinhead in this movie, that fans will not watch this movie, which is bullshit, right? Mm. I understand if you're putting it in the cinema, and this is Halloween three. I understand that. You know what I mean? The backlash was huge. People fucking hated that movie when it came out because Michael Myers isn't in it and all the rest. However, you gave us a movie with a shit pinhead previously and some other movies where pinhead was pretty shit in it that I don't think at this stage, like, if you're going to be ballsy and this is going to be your stamp it out, you're going to make this franchise your own, make it your own. Pinhead is in this movie ostensibly sitting down for the majority of it, so I don't know why there was such a big deal about how he was being cast how he was being, you know, the makeup and all the rest, how he was going to look, because he's hardly used in the movie. Um, the ending of this movie is flat out dumb. I mean, like, to the point of, I was like that, well, you have fucked yourself in the ass. Like, fucked yourself hard in the ass if you're going to do another Hellraiser movie. You have essentially, at the end of this movie, killed off. Unless the, the auditor is the way you're going, that's fine. But I don't yep. think it is. I think the next movie has to have Pinhead in it. So by making Pinhead mortal and not Pinhead anymore, you have essentially ruined that. Plus the big reveal of who the serial killer... Other things that annoy me and... Oh, the list, man. The list. Let me vent. The serial killer has done so many horrible things that 
that the, the guy that eats the thing poisons him, mm-hmm. eats his confession. Since when has that been an issue? Hell has craved the most depraved souls. I don't understand. Oh, do you know what I thought? The way I looked at it was, it was his guilt that would that had poisoned him. Yeah, but I don't get that. I, th- like, I don't understand. Like, his guilt is so bad that it poisons him. Right? I, I, I don't get... That's what they're looking for. Hell thrives on sin. The more sin, yeah. the better. The worse the punishment. Uh, okay. To me, it was but like... Is it not like if, if you've done all these horrendous things and you're glad you've done them, like that does that not make you more evil i don't know surely the but fact is, this guy's almost repenting mate i assume that's why what had made him ill is that he's done all these horrendous things but he feels so terrible about it i, I don't, I don't think that's but the guy the guy who's the well the guy who's the the child molester is is appalled when he sees the man use child's tears to lubricate his food you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. so you know what i mean so i don't get, i don't get there's no consistency there I would be more. I would have got more on board with that because the guy's obviously the the serial killer in this movie, who's revealed as being the the, the kind of more haggard looking detective, which was a twist I saw from about half an hour into this movie. By the way, almost fully telegraphed um, before he even goes into the house. I was like, you feel a bit too haggard, and there's something kind of going on that and I don't know if that's me just getting long in the tooth, but. Yeah, they set up that that whole thing with him going. Like, I would have been more in line with it had it been that you know his sins had been repented by. You know, he went to a priest and the priest had like repented his sins, and that is what cleansed of the, cleansed them of them, um, and that was fine or something. But I think what they're angling at is that his conviction that he is doing the Lord's work is what poisons him but it is not stated well enough, it's not explained well enough, and ultimately what the movie does is says, this guy's done a lot of horrible, horrible shit, so horrible in fact that it poisoned the the man who determines how horrible you are before you enter hell. Mm. And I'm like, really? Really? Is that, I think is what, that I, what we're doing I think doing what here? I struggled with really is, like, obviously he's been on tours in Iraq and Afghanistan and, that, and he's done terrible, terrible things there. I found it difficult to make the leap from that to him basically like torturing and killing a load of missing children and cutting all their arms off, ripping their teeth and their eyes out. I kind of thought, I don't, well, I don't, uh, what's his motivation for that? Yeah. Because it's not like he went, it's not like he did, I don't think it leads us to believe so much that he did these horrendous things in Iraq and Afghanistan and particularly enjoyed it. He just ended up doing horrendous things. So to then turn into this, Siri, I can understand him kind of punishing people, but mm-hmm. I don't know, just murdering and well, like torturing explained. a load of children. I kind of think, uh, uh, yeah, I don't it's, know. It's explained, like, obviously he goes on this current killing spree because he finds that his wife is having an affair. So he goes yeah. after the people that his wife has had an affair with. And the people that were all involved from that, it spirals out at the people like the lawyer is like killed because the lawyer lies. And you mm. know, all these sort of things, which have been handled in much better movies and much better ways. Yeah. To a point that you mentioned, and I can see why you were excited about that, but to me, I think it's it's a negative aspect. Is what you were saying is that for anyone, this movie's made for proper hardcore horror fans for Hellraiser fans, right? It's not made yeah. for mainstream audience, right? Because, you know, like, if you went to see it, you've seen something, and then you would sit down, and this would be repulsive. 
I actually think that this movie highlights so many of the worst elements that horror gets criticised for, right? Mm-hmm. People criticise horror movies. It's like when we joked about Get Out being at the Oscars. Now, it'll be called a psychological thriller because horror, by default, is seen as being this kind of base level, not well written, not well acted, gore-heavy subgenre. This is the poster child for that. None of the acting's mm-hmm. convincing. The story isn't all that great. Um, it relies too heavily on the gore. Um... And when you're at that stage, I'm like, this, like, I don't want people to see this that are not, you know, that are trying to get into horror because this to me is, is it's not even that it's lazy. You hit the nail on the head. This to me feels like they created this really great shot of this potential new world we could experience as a Hellraiser fan. And then was like that, well, how do we make this? Um, right, well, we need to write a story around it. So let's use the old tired cliche of this, a serial killer out there killing people and we need to investigate it. I think part five is head and shoulders better than this. Like, like so much better than this because at least in that movie, the <laughs> they've done it the other way around. So it's written as this really kind of interesting murder mystery, mm. noir sort of story that just so happens to have Pinhead uh, and, the, and the Cenobites, rather than this movie which has all this like hell-related imagery and then just so happens to have a serial killer story wrapped around it. I find it frustrating, and they then they open this tantalising bit, Andy, is the bit that really... This is the bit that drags it down to a two for me. We get this idea that this guy is doing all this horrible shit, but we're, as Pinhead is the representative of maybe hell in this story, once again, not really like stressed, but that's how we've always seen him. Um, we get this woman who is like an angel... Mm-hmm. Who appears and she's like the 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 counter pinhead, but almost above pinhead in the pecking order. Yeah, and she's like, listen, when right at the very end, she's like, listen, this guy needs to go. The big guy upstairs likes what he's doing. It doesn't doesn't condone it, but it puts the fear of God into people. And as long as there is a fear of God and there is an evil presence out there, people will turn to him. And that's what we want. So, yeah, and the guy's like, oh, thanks. I, I can't believe I've got your blessing. And she's like, no, 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 you don't have my blessing. We're just saying, you'll still be judged. We're just saying, go forth and do what you do in the name of the Lord because it will turn people. I thought that was fucking brilliant. I was like, that, this is a great, this is probably one of the strongest endings to a Hellraiser movie. Pinhead doesn't get the guy he wants just now. And then we get this twist that God's going to send this vicious serial killer back out there to continue his work and this eternal battle between heaven and hell and like that. <laughs> Two thumbs up from Duncan. This is where the movie redeems itself. This movie might even get a three. Um, <laughs> he's returned. Less than one second later, he's murdered. Right? So, fuck that whole... Fuck that five-minute dialogue. And do you know what? It's not even like they wait five or ten minutes and then kill him. It's literally within seconds. Straight away. Pinhead's like that. Yeah, of course I'll send him back. Boom, he's dead. And I'm like, right. Then we don't get to see him get judged because fuck that part of the story now. We're no longer interested. Instead, Pinhead's going to turn his attention to this angel. I'm like, that. why are we doing this now other than to have Pinhead do his usual chains and, you know... Like, he's, oh, I will show you, like, you know, all this shit. Which is so out of place in this movie by this point, because we basically said we don't need that in this movie. We have other ways to put you to hell now, but mm. we have to shoehorn this in at the end of the movie. 
and he is warned like oh by the way don't do this because you know bad things will happen to you if you go against God's will and all the rest and then he does it anyway so he's like fuck them all fuck the lotties I'll do what I want I'm Pinhead kills her um, which I'm not sure you can do but let's just run with it uh, yeah. and then the auditor all of a sudden goes oh you know I've just had a thought maybe you could be cast out of hell and then he's cast out of hell um, and then he's a homeless man and I really hate the fact that he, I mean he looks like Pinhead right like mm-hmm. just with no makeup but then they have to juxtapose the Pinhead face just in case you haven't got in case you missed it yeah. just in case you missed it why are we looking at this homeless guy just in case you missed it then they show you that and then I'm like that. So Pinhead doesn't exist anymore. So what was the point? What was the point of having him in this movie? We might as well have done a movie without him, for all his impact is in this movie. Um, and give me the bit that I really liked, which was all the odder stuff. That was really fucking cool. Mm. Give me that bit. Stupid fucking ending. Like, like this ending of this movie yep. is dumb as fuck. And that's what I'm left with. The credits roll, and then you get an after credit sequence. In Germany, we're fucking too. T- what do you call them? Jehovah's Witnesses. God botherers. Oh yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah the, the chapping the chapping a door in Germany, and then the auditor opens the door, yeah. and I'm like that, right? So the auditor's fine. So we've moved to Germany. How does this work? Why are we doing this? Are we getting a sequel? If we're getting a sequel, is Pinhead in that sequel? Does anyone care? What What are we doing here, Andy? Yeah, I mean, it's weird because the first time the, like, the angel woman appeared, aside from the fact that like the synthesised voice just sounds really cheap and crap. Yep. <laughs> um, it's a really interesting idea because even if you're not a religious person, like the whole idea of like controlling people through fear yep. is a really interesting idea because I totally think like the mainstream media has been controlling people through fear for like fucking 70 years. Yeah. You know, like the, this whole concept of like just constantly putting out these horrendous news stories you know threats of the cold war in the 80s like then threats of fucking trump doing world war three with korea that you know like constantly obviously depending on which paper you read they don't all do but if you read the daily express for example world war three is literally happening tomorrow (laughs) it has been for the last decade and has been for the last (laughs) decade so how fucking how much you know currency can you put in that fucking you know, threat if it's been going on for that long. And people are far less likely to protest. They're far more likely to just carry on paying their taxes and being obedient little citizens if they're terrified. Mm-hmm. You know, well, the government's going to keep us safe, so I best keep paying my taxes and doing what I'm told and all that. I love that. The whole concept of that, I think, is great. Um, and, you know, if you don't want to look at it from a media point of view, if you want to look at it from a religious point of view, you know, it's going to keep the churches full of people, keep people praying, keep Which people I thought, terrified. Like, yeah, I thought it was really like, interesting. When that, yeah, when that happened, I was like that. This is a ballsy move, and I am on board 100%. Yeah. And then it just doesn't really pan out to anything else. And again, it's just for me, it's a really cool idea. And then they just kind of don't do anything with it. And like, I don't really understand why the brother needed to be the serial killer. I mean, for me, like it's like you say, if, if you didn't spot that twist coming, yeah. it's completely underwhelming when it happens. Yeah, it doesn't. It's, it's a twist we've seen many times before as well. Like, the guy that's investigating the crime is the criminal. Like for, for one hundredth of a second, like I, not even that, did I think, oh, wow. It's just like, right, okay, great. Wrap right, your yeah. head around this as well, Andy. This is a killer. This is a serial killer who's killed 12 people and mm. there are just two police officers looking into it. No yeah. FBI, no no big media profile. Where mm. are the press when they're coming out of buildings after a killing? Has this serial <laughs> killer struck again? No headlines. Fuck all. Yeah. I don't, it's like so... 
don't do a serial killer story then. You know what I mean? Don't don't do it on a scale of twelve dead bodies. Don't yeah. do that because when you do that, you set up like certain elements of a story that have to happen. You're going to be under intense scrutiny. You're not going to just send one you know one agent in with an agenda to find out why things haven't been getting solved. Mm-hmm. You know you're going to have a cracked team of like forty police in this one office in this busy department all looking at this you're going to have the chief the mayor the governor you know uh, the, the senator your know, congressman all, all these people are why is there 12 dead but like all this stuff is going to happen because we can't afford it in the, the budget of this movie rack back the scale they could at least just talk about that happening like you yeah. don't have to see it yeah you know, like when a murder happens, I mean, I know it's different in different countries because some countries a murder happens very fucking regularly and some places it doesn't happen very often at all. So when it does happen, it is big news. But like you say, like somebody going around killing using the, the 10 or 12 commandments, as they seem to think in this movie, is like some kind of basis. I mean, horrific shit, you know, like a fucking chihuahua being sewn inside a woman's stomach. Mm-hmm. Like homeless, uh, you know, like missing homeless kids having their fucking arms cut off while they're still alive. That's newsworthy shit in any fucking country. Yeah? Oh, I don't yes. care where you are. Yep. So you know, like, just to have like a couple of detectives working on it, not really doing that much of a good job. Like They draft another woman in to help, um, obviously because the two brothers don't seem to be able to get their head around what's going on, obviously because one of them's fucking doing it. It's just like, <laughs> I don't care. I don't know, it just doesn't do anything for me. It's not interesting. It could have been. It just wasn't. And like you say, it's been done before. Like you can't take like one of the greatest sort of crime horror movies of the night version of it. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like that guy is not Brad Pitt. You haven't got Morgan Freeman. You haven't got uh, Kevin Spacey. He's not going to, you know, just try and do something else. Like, I, you know, it's almost like I, I appreciate what they tried to do. They just, they just didn't pull fucking Hellraiser shit. Because that's kind of all I'm after in this. And for me, as far as that goes, this is literally one of the best Hellraiser films. It's just not a very good film. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's, it's, what, it's what I... like. It's frustrating. It's like genuinely frustrating because what you do is you end up spending time like seeing some really cool elements which this, like I say, this movie gives you. It gives you some really... like gives you a cool insight into what I think is such a better story. Like the idea, like there are there are three stories here which I think could be full full films. One of them is definitely the stuff that happens with the order. The second one could be this conflict between, you know, heaven and hell and how that's going to play out and you know what is the place of the, you know, if if the order was, it looks like the order is supposed to be a level of impartiality as well in that. Um, when the, the the woman from heaven appears and she's like that, let this guy go, he has to obey her orders. So it seems like the, the people in the middle should be in the middle. And if that is the case, then they look a bit too creepy to be in the middle. You know what I mean? I, I don't... That frustrates me. Um, but that'd be like a really cool story as well. And in the last story, actually a serial killer who's going around killing people once again, we've seen it before, but a serial killer that's going around killing people because they are sinning is a cool story as well that you can make a whole movie out of. It's been done before, but you could do it. So you have those three different elements which by themselves and fleshed out with a bit more, bit more character development, a bit more narrative, would be great movies. 
are kind of compressed into this movie, which is a super short, which is a bit, it's only saving grace, really. Um, and none of them really, out with that first 20 minutes, like I say, which was great, and the kind of false idea of a really interesting ending, I don't think there's much to actually celebrate in this movie at all. Um, and I, I kind of feel like, whilst we're getting more of the Cenobite world and all the rest to an extent, um, we are going against a lot of the rules that the previous movies have set up. And if you're going to do that, if you really want to be like, we're going to do something different, just have it be about a different box. I don't mm. understand. I don't understand that element. I it's weird as well. Like he grabs a box off the shelf, doesn't he? To kind of take back to earth with him. Yeah. And then gets like his, his brother and the other, and his brother and his missus to like summon uh, Pinhead to kind of swap him for them. Yeah, which doesn't make any why, sense. Why? What, well, what makes you think that's going to happen? At which, what point did they did they ever say that we're going to judge you one day? You can go back to Earth, Karen, doing what you're doing. But if you can find two other people that are worse than you, we'll, we'll swap. You know, like, it's part first six. of all... It's part first six. Of all, like, part six is that, though. That part six, Nancy... Yeah. Uh, Kirsty, sorry. Kirsty runs... Nancy, listen to me. Get my, my franchise in my up. Kirsty kills... There's Langenkamp's in it. <laughs> that's what it is. Is she... Is she in this movie? Well, <laughs> like, did you blink? If you blink, then you, <laughs> you miss her. <laughs> but yeah, like she kills six people to atone for a debt that Pinhead will take away. Which at the time I was like, that this is fucking stupid. This is absolutely. But then it's Pinhead never gets. Agreed. Yeah, Pinhead gets like super savage, like super super savage, on two people with, with their only sin being that they slept with each other. And he's like, oh, let's take them to hell with spikes and irons. And, like, in the past, Pinhead's not given a fuck about that. He's only interested on the guy who is the sin. Just, so, first, so first of all, like, that was never agreed. There was no, uh, there was no way that was the dog, by the way, not me. So <laughs> um, like, that was never agreed anywhere. So I don't want to know what makes you think that you can just swap yourself for two people. And secondly... How are their sins anywhere near equal to what you've done? So your brother and your missus are having an affair, but that's far worse than the fact that you're killing children, 12 other people doing all this horrendous shit in Iraq and Afghanistan and all that sort of thing. Well, that's a fair swap, is it? Two people that have just had an affair for you. (laughs) Like, come on. Like, how naive can you get? Like, I don't know. Just, it's not believable, is it, at all? It's ridiculous. It just annoys me. And like... So there's some really good dialogue as well like in the beginning bits with like the auditor and stuff like I really like the way that the auditor like when he hears something that surprises him he kind of goes yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> like when the guy just starts being really fucking honest with him instantly he's almost like taken aback I thought that was funny and like there's a good bit between the auditor and like the like the angel woman mm-hmm. where she kind of says look you're going to send him back and he's like, I'm not going to. And she's like, look, you know, you are sending him back. Do you understand? And he's like, not really. Yep. And she's like, but do you understand who's in charge? And yeah. he's like, yeah. You know, there's just some cool little exchanges of dialogue. And I just think, like, this, there's a lot of thoughts gone into this and a lot of creativity. But only in the hell bits. Only yeah. in the Cenobite world. Like, as soon as we get to Earth, it's like there's someone else writing it. No one gives a shit. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, it's a shame, it's, really. it's, I mean, this was never going to be a fucking amazing movie, no. but it could have been a really fucking awesome Hellraiser film. And all, and all it is really is just, it's one of the better Hellraiser films. But, you know, that's not really, you know, anyone that listens to your, you know, your Russian roulette retrospective, yeah. it's, that's not much of an accolade, is it, to be able to brag that you're one of the better Hellraiser films? It's like, well, yeah, it's, that's it not. Feels, it feels to me 
honestly, like, um, like, because Gary Turnercliffe wrote the script as well, and it's like you say, he's obviously more interested. In the past, he's been more involved with the the hell aspects of the franchise. That that's where all his his love has went, and not into, and you can tell that because the guy is not a good writer. He's not a good writer out with yeah. writing like these <clears throat> these like hellish landscapes. He's not good at it's writing it. Hellish set pieces, really, isn't it? It's just yeah. a set piece, and like he just very fortunately managed to write a really good half an hour of gross hell stuff. Yeah, well done, brilliant. Like I appreciate that, and I'm glad I've seen it. But you know, that's that's kind of where the story ends for him. Unfortunately. So, in terms of like your standing uh, for Hellraiser movies, you you still love the opinion like this is like what was it fourth best? You said is that is that where it lies for you? Uh, yeah, I think my ranking in that respect would probably go part two, part one, part four, and then this one. Right, right. To me, I think it lies probably down... I think it's maybe my sixth favourite out, yeah. out of the whole ones. Like, I think Hell World is a worse movie. I think it's a worse movie because it, 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 should, it should be better. It doesn't give you anything merit at all. I really didn't like that previous one um, at all. I just thought it was I, I, props for them to making an attempt to do something really cool, but they didn't. Um, Ryan Lewis famously made me hate part six because <laughs> of what they do to the Kirsty character, um, yeah. and I kind of agree with him on that one. But I think um, I think part one, part two, part four, and part five. And maybe part seven? Maybe you can make a case for part seven, maybe. Or better than this, by far. By like and this to me is the the, the kind of maybe not part seven actually. But I think part five certainly I think is a much better movie than this. Um even though they're in similar grims, just because I think it's better shot, better acted, um and like the deaths are really fucking gruesome in that one. Uh and you get a sense of a guy who's trapped in his own hell. Like, to me, if I could give any advice to anyone who wants to write a Hellraiser movie, and I mean, I'm not qualified to do this at all, but I've watched them all now. Um, yes, your hell sequences have to be great, and you have to have an interest there for sure. But what you have to do, and you have to do this well, is you have to write characters the whole purpose of hellraiser the whole idea of it is someone who is seeking something who gets more than he plans for and in this movie they don't do that they give us some cool things but they they ultimately mess up the fundamental building blocks of what a hellraiser movie everything else can be built on top of that you just need to write something had this story been about a serial killer who was doing all this gnarly, gnarly shit, was then being judged, and then, like, had they removed that first guy who died, all the bodies in an investigation, and had this about the cop, who was a serial killer, who we were following, who then somehow got brought into this house, who was then judged but escaped the house, and then was pursued by hell after it, that's a better movie. That's yeah, the movie. I mean, you could have had like the auditor shit like at least halfway through or even towards the end is like your big finale, but they kind of did that at the beginning. 
such a strong and, beginning as well. That's, I think that's nothing, what it is. And nothing else really lives up to what you've done at the beginning. So yeah, it's like such a strong opening that you're like right, like like I genuinely after twenty minutes, like when, when the credits come up, I was like that. I'm gonna have to eat some humble pie with Andy Blockley. I'd, I'd like I was like in, I was in, and then like I say, get the fucking meandered and went oh shit. Um, but then the ending, I thought the ending, I was like, yeah, we're going to get, like, so we're just going to let this guy go. This is fucking awesome. You know what I mean? Like, really, really cool concept. And then we realise that this 10-minute dialogue explaining about heaven and hell and all the rest means fuck all. Because at the end of that, we can kill this guy off after two seconds, kill the angel, and Pinhead can be a human. And I'm just like, what What happened at the end of the script? You know, how did we end up here? And Do you yeah. know what? It's not even like the film was really running long and they had to cut a load of bits no, out. It's an hour <laughs> 20 with the credits. You had, could have added another 10, 15 minutes on, I no problem. Yeah, I don't get, I genuinely don't get, I don't know what happened. But you are right, there are some interesting things worthy of discussion. There's some cool concepts for sure. Uh, there are some characters introduced that I think are, the auditor is brilliant. I think, like I say, I think he steals the show, but the way people are judged, the cleansing process is horrible, but I found myself being like, this is the sort of shit that they tease in some of the other movies, is some of the, the, the processes of hell that you're going to be strapped with, the skinning process, all that stuff was so interesting from my point of view, that was like, so we're building a mythology, and then it is literally shelved for three quarters of the movie, and then we're given a dumb ending. And it just feels, this movie feels very much the poster child for what could have been. Um, yeah. And I, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, will I watch another Hellraiser movie? Yes. I've, I've watched 10. Of course I'll watch another one. Do I now think that they are incapable of making a good Hellraiser movie? Yes. I think that ship has long sailed. I think no one knows. I think the only way you get a good Hellraiser movie now is getting Clive Barker back in. I think he's the only one that can do it. And he yeah. doesn't even need to direct it, but he needs to write it. You mm. need someone that can write and someone that understands what people want and someone that understands what made those first two movies so so different from everything else. Horror has climbed up and is like there are plenty of movies out there that deal with demons and hell and all the rest now, which makes Hellraiser an unremarkable franchise. What made it a remarkable franchise was or certainly in the first two instalments was it was a series of movies made for adults that had adult themes that really did kind of push this idea of humanity uh, the pursuit of our our base level deviant desires um, and the judgement that's wrought on those desires Um, and no one can write that movie and I don't understand why no one can write that movie to me it's maybe it's just that people are scared that it just won't sell and to that uh, I, I would put forward look at all the other movies that you've done yeah. and yeah maybe they did make a bit of money but none of them have been well received really and that's because people you you almost undersell or you almost underestimate your audience when you just make like Hellraiser movie after Hellraiser movie thinking that purely putting Pinhead in it for five minutes is ostensibly what people want. It's not what people want. People want something. People want content. They want a bit of flesh on the bone, and I feel judgment is tantalisingly close to getting, you know, some of the bigger bits right, um, but ultimately fails in that it is written terribly. I think it is a, a really poorly written movie, um, 
And that's before I, I mean, I could have spent 10 minutes talking about how bad the acting is out with the Hell characters. Like, no, we didn't even touch on that, did we? But <laughs> The cops are awful in this movie. <clears throat> I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I think there's something going on with this franchise that people are just... There's al- It's almost like it's got a death curse, Andy. It's got a death curse. <laughs> I mean, it it's, it's weird because, like, Carpenter turned his back on Hollywood because of studio interference. Clive Barker turned his back on Hollywood because of yeah. studio interference. Yeah. We're kind of living in an age now where that's not as important for yeah. if you want to go down the route like this film went down. You know, there was no studio interference with this film, I don't think. You know, doesn't feel like it. it. Doesn't I, I no. get the feeling that he was probably given some money, uh, yeah. a budget, and then told to run with it. And you got to bear in mind, like Carpenter worked on shoestring budgets. Clive yeah. Barker worked on shoestring budgets. So it's not even like they can go, yeah, but if we haven't got a big studio behind us, there's no money. You don't need money. Like yeah. some of the best films like Carpenter and Clive Barker have done, there is not really any money behind that. Yeah. So I'd like to see those writers kind of realise now that studio interference in, a, in an indie movie is you know, not really a problem. It can be done and let them come back. I'm sure they've got good ideas knocking around. I know in a recent interview with Carpenter, um, I've not listened to that one that you said about, but I'm sure he mentions that he's got a couple of ideas in the yep. pipeline. He's, he's basically, he, won't get, he won't give details, but he's like, that. yeah, I've got a movie in me and I've got some ideas and yep. I, I, you know, yeah. I've, I've not turned my back on it. I could totally have an interest in it, totally have a desire to do it. So um, I think Carpenter has got more than enough clout to be able to say, look, I want a load of money, but you don't have anything to do with it. You give me the money and then you walk away and let me do it. And yeah, there'd be loads I'm, of people that do that. Yeah, if, I'm listening, yeah if, I'm, if I'm listening to that podcast and I'm Netflix, yeah. I'm like, get, get like, right, let's have him, get me a meeting with John Carpenter. To me, that's a no-brainer. Like, literal no-brainer at all. Um, I mean, if you know Netflix are throwing serious money at films like Bright, that's not a fucking good movie. It's not. Uh, if you've seen it, that is a yeah, really yeah. crap fucking it's, film. It's, it's, and uh, you're getting big, yeah. big names in that film, you know, like, it, so they've got the money and so fucking put it somewhere decent. And that's why for me, like my, you know, my money is in Netflix quite literally as well. I was saying to you, you know, like that's a, a company that is going from strength to strength, and especially when they realise as well that releasing stuff on media is going to bring them a massive influx of money again. You know, when Netflix start releasing the stuff that they're producing on DVD, because mm-hmm. that's a big uh, criticism, isn't it, at the minute? There's a lot of stuff on Netflix that you just can't get hold of on Blu-ray, yeah, especially in England. Yeah, at the moment. Yeah, Once they, they kind of cut on onto that they can do that, and because they've already got the rights to it, they can do that quite cheaply. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to make even more money and then they can put even more money into other stuff. I mean, stuff like Black Mirror that's now been put up by Netflix. Like that yeah. fourth season of Black Mirror is the best one so far. Yeah. It's Maybe just it's getting, it's going from strength, like Netflix going from strength to strength and there's plenty out there for them to do. And there's like so many different avenues now that they can go down. I mean, Hellraiser's stuck at Dimension. Yeah. And that, that's the issue. And as long as they keep putting movies out within the, the time frame, it will stay with Dimension. So Clyde Barker is ostensibly written out of being able to do anything um, with Hellraiser. He's got plenty plenty of other things he could do and I would watch them all. Um, But yeah, we're stuck now. We're stuck in this this loop of a studio that doesn't want to spend a lot of money on these movies. Um, People that are clearly, I mean, you can tell that Tunnicliffe is invested and the source material and loves the concept and ideas. He just doesn't have the ability, I think, to make a whole movie of it. No. Um, and that's that's where we're stuck. And whoever it goes to next, if it stays with Tunnicliffe, um, you know, I, I think you're going to have the same issues. I don't think he's going to, you know, he's not going to... 
There are writing issues here that I don't think you just improve on. I think they're just because that the guy's not a great writer. Um, yeah, it's not like it needed tidying up a little bit. It's, yeah. There's some quite disastrous stuff in this. Yeah, so I think that's where the... I think that as, as a franchise is doomed, almost. But we're now living in a world where, you know, uh, Blumhouse has managed to, to cut a deal to put out the new Halloween movie. Blumhouse are already circling. There's rumours flying around circling that they want to to try and acquire the rights to Friday the 13th, uh, mm-hmm. to put a Friday the 13th movie. Um, so maybe they get their hands on, maybe they do what Platinum Jins did back in the day and they get their hands on the rights to a lot of franchises and then start maybe correcting the wrongs uh, and getting people who are interesting involved with the project. If that's the case, brilliant. But... Yeah, this. I mean, it was better than I expected it to be, but in a lot of respects, my initial view of what I thought that trailer was like turned out to be true. Like, as mm. like my, my criticisms on the trailer was, there seems to be too many Cenobites. It seems to be too weighted on that side. There's not a lot from the trailer at all that gave you evidence of what the story was about. Um, and it didn't look like the acting was all that great. Uh, and... I come away from watching the movie and all those criticisms were almost realised. And I, I, it's just a shame, man. I, like, like you say, I, 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 and I agree 100%, had this just been a 20-minute short given to me, I would have been like, right, let's make a whole movie from that. Let, let's, yeah, this, that- this is the kind of thing where a fan makes a really good fucking thing, a bit like with what that guy did with Clown. Yeah. And then someone goes, fucking hell, like, if you've got a movie in you, we'll, we'll give you the, you know, give you some money for it. Yeah. That feels kind of like what's happened here, except the money they gave him to do the rest of the movie was about $300. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's almost as well, I think, I think it's time to drop the idea of Pinhead. I think Clyde, even Clyde Barker's done it now. Clyde Barker's killed him off. Um, I think now is the time to start doing that. I think now is the time to take Hellraiser as a concept um, and start developing around it as opposed to trying to essentially recapture magic, which is impossible to recapture. Mm. Let's start. Let, let's give us a character like the Auditor and give him his own movie. As yeah, a movie, like I want to see. If you couldn't give me any decent pinhead stuff in five, six, seven, eight, and part nine, yeah. I don't really know what makes you think you can stick him in part ten and really do any better because it's so he's so insignificant in this movie. Yeah, like you see the back of his head the, for most of the time he's in. You see the back of his head. Yeah. Like, he doesn't even need to be there. And obviously, to call this a legitimate Hellraiser film, I guess Pinhead probably does need to be in it, but he didn't, you know, he did nothing. He literally does nothing yeah. in this film. But then I thought to myself, to call this a legitimate Hellraiser movie, the box needed to be prominent in it. Yeah. You know and what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. it's weird. It's like, the, it's like it, has the, it has the balls to take things in different directions and really push it to try and create something new. And then it gets, like, cold feet and then has to lean back on things which have just not worked in other movies and don't work here. Um, Yeah, immensely frustrating watch. Um, But I'll be interested to see, I know genuinely um, there's been fairly positive reviews from what I've seen this week flying around on Facebook. So be interesting to see what the listeners think. Do you agree with what me and Andy have said? Uh, anything you want to add to it, bring it over to the Facebook group page, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Cast. We're going to take our final break. We're closing up the show right after this. (laughs) 
You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. This has been bonus episode number 67, where myself and my guest Andy Blockley looked at Hellraiser Judgment from 2018. That's that one done, Andy. We can park that one now. Yeah. Feels good to park that one to the side. And uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where it takes us this year. I get the feeling I, there are more movies that are, are worthy of a little bonus review with me and you just sitting down taking a look, especially more modern ones. I get the feeling that sometimes I neglect more recent viewings in favour of older movies that you can just sit down and slam through them. So if there's anything you see this year that you're desperate to talk about, just give me the give me the drop down uh, on uh, the old Facebook and we'll, we'll get it penciled in, sir, because it's always cool. fun chatting movies with you. Yeah, awesome. Nice one. Right. Um, at the end of every episode, I tell you a lot of stuff. Um, and this one's going to be exactly the same. Uh, there's a multitude of ways to check out the podcast under the stairs. As always, we recommend you check us out through Apple Podcasts over on iTunes. Um, go across, subscribe to our feed. That way you get the episodes as and when they drop and access to the entire back catalogue of T-Putt's content. Please leave us a rating and a review. Ratings, five stars for example. The more of them we get, higher up the iTunes charts are pushed for people to find us. And the reviews written by yourselves let the people know why they should check out the stuff that we do under the stairs. Um, it is a great way to support the show. It doesn't cost you anything and means the world to us. You can also listen to us on Stitcher Smart Radio, on SoundCloud, TuneIn and Google Play. Um, come across and visit our Facebook group page, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Cast. Visit our website, tputzcast.com. Um, interact with the Baz on the twin prongs of social media sexiness, Instagram and Twitter. Both can be followed at tputzcast. Andy Blockley, would you like to say goodbye to my listeners, please? Bye, listeners. And from me, this is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs, saying wherever you are, whatever the time zone is and whatever you're up to, please take care of yourselves. And I'll speak to you all tomorrow with our conclusion to the Russian Roulette franchise retrospective for Final Destinations, part four and five, dropping tomorrow. Until then, bye.